You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. I want to start by saying a thank you to KAXE Studios up in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. I do a monthly radio show up there. Today's the day we're doing that. And I said, well, I, I can only come if you can loan me a studio. And they said, I'll be our guest. So I'm in the really nice KAXE Studios up in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. And I've got on the line with me, Jace Wilson. Jace is the CEO of Neighborly. Neighborly deals with muni bonds in a very unique way that we're going to talk about today. I've been wanting to get him on the podcast for a while. Jace, welcome to the Strong Towns Podcast. Thank you, Charles. It's a huge honor. A big uh, Strong Towns fan. and love what you guys are doing to help strengthen our nation's places. Hey, that's very kind of you. My friends call me Chuck, so feel free. <laughs> okay. You're... Chuck it is. Mr. Chuck. <laughs> You're in Boston right now today, right? That's right. We're at the Boston office of Neighborly. We're headquartered in San Francisco with offices in Boston and New York and building up a pretty cool next generation investment manager here in the Boston office. I want to give you a scenario to react to, to kind of kick this off. I was doing engineering work. This would have been the late nineties in a city and we were going out and doing a two and a half million dollar project for this city. That was a pretty big deal. They were going to have to bond I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars. Again, for them, it was a huge sum of money. When they got to the hearing to approve the bonds, a bunch of residents showed up and said, we'd like to buy these bonds. We'd like to be the ones who purchase some of these. You know, we can't buy it all, but, but we'd like to invest in our own hometown. The bond attorney they had there said, sorry, these are all going to be sent to Wall Street and sold on a market. And yeah, you're not going to be able to buy them. Sorry. Sounds all right. Talk about that process. I, I think people don't understand Absolutely. the muni bond process. The situation I described to you, that's pretty typical, isn't it? It's absolutely the default. And you have to go to great lengths to make it anything else. But that wasn't always the case, you know. If I could maybe step back and take a, a quick snapshot of where the market comes from. Let's please uh, do that. Because it helped you explain that, that, that scenario and how how absurd it really is. And thank you for observing that and remembering it and bringing it up in this conversation because it's very central to a strong town having a direct connection to its own economics. And uh, that's a cool place. That sounds like a strong place, right? Well, I think they were hoping to be, but... (laughs) It it might come back to that. At Neighborly, we're working to try to bring some of that back. And we appreciate that the market, it's a two-century-old market. It's a billion dollars a day today that funds vital public projects like schools, parks, libraries, roads, water systems that connect those things. You know, we think that it can and it should also fund next generation resilient infrastructure like community broadband networks so that communities can secure their own access to information and take advantage of new applications like telehealth for aging in place and economic relevance for non-metropolitan areas and, and all the things and community microgrids so that communities can own their own energy. But again, it runs up against uh, how, you know, the incumbents of those industries tried to box out decentralization. So it's tied to that. In the beginning of the market, in the early 1800s, the process was essentially groups of people that are geographically proximate that, you know, share a collective interest in a place 
get together and start creating IOUs for themselves. And that's how the market's born. You know, and we have in our collection uh, some, some of these original certificates where they're called certificates of stock in the state of New York, for example, from the comptroller. These are not even thought of as bonds by them. And it evolved into a market that was, it became a fundamental way of, of investing. A community would be in direct touch with its own economics in this way. It'd be, we're going to rally together and build the schoolhouse and we'll vote it in one month and then the next month we'll go and buy the bonds that'll get the project financed, uh, the mom and pop savings and loan down the street. And in that era, working with certificates that are transferred to the people and you can hang them on your wall or you can put them in your safe deposit box and you can clip a coupon and it's in direct contact with with the process and the, and the means of conveying ownership. And then we moved to a registered system, which was good for a lot of reasons because it helped reduce a lot of the fraud that happened on, on both sides of the transaction and money laundering. But then in the 70s, we switched to book entry and that market was nearly instantly consolidated to the point that now 80 cents of every dollar borrowed by a U.S. community for a public project flows through one of 10 global banks. And those banks all happen to be addressed uh, near each other in New York. Right. And that process became something that was easy for uh, centralization incumbents to prevent the end buyers from directly accessing the opportunity so that they would instead have to buy downstream. And so you saw that, and you saw a town that was remembering a part of itself. It was remembering a process that was fundamental to probably how that town was built in the first place. And it was remembering a process that the people wanted to directly invest, and they were being told by the people that were controlling the financing that, no, that's not how it works. You're going to have to go to you know, a broker that's going to sell you these things after they've changed hands two or three times. The one, the one book for anybody that's interested in that topic to read is uh, Louis Brandeis' Other People's Money, especially Chapter 6, where in 1912, 100 years before we founded Neighborly, you know, he wrote an essay that he published in 1914, uh, 100 years before we turned on our uh, broker-dealer, uh, an essay about the absurdity of not being able to directly sell bonds to the community. In the scenarios that I worked in back as an engineer, and as a planner, I saw this a little bit too, but I wasn't as intimately involved in, in like getting the projects going from a financing standpoint. We would get to the point where, like, okay, we got to borrow some money. The local bank's not going to lend this to us because it's either more than what they would want to do or they just, they don't deal in this, right? Like, this isn't the area that they deal in. And so they would call in the bond council, is what they called them. This was a dude that came up from Minneapolis, St. Paul. You never had to pay him, right? Like, nobody paid him. He didn't get a check from anybody. And I remember sitting there saying, like, how do you get paid? Because for me, I, I was always interested in like, okay, we're sitting, I'm sitting around the table with a bunch of people. There's the attorney. Like, I know how he gets paid. There's the engineer. Like, I know how he gets paid. But there's this guy called the bond council. And I'm not really clear what his relationship is or how he gets paid. And the reason that was interesting to me is because where you get paid, I'm not saying people are corrupt per se, but there's a certain set of incentives or a certain set Absolutely. of uh, things that are open to you based on where your paycheck is coming from. These guys' paycheck was coming from uh, basically what I would say is the process. What is that process? If a city is doing a big bond, half a million, a million, 10 million, 20 million, 
what is that process and who is getting paid in that process as it sits today, you know, pre-neighborly? Fantastic insight. And it's true. And in neighborly, our motto is in math we trust. And our goal is to get the sort of Tower of Babel of all the different perspectives of the market, all the different steps along the way that speak different math languages to share in the same math. And the one math that really drives us bonkers is the mystery math that's deliberately designed to conceal how uh, some of the participants in the market transact and how they make money. And it is an absolutely wacky formula that you can read about the the modern equations that are used to construct a what's called true interest cost, which is a, an effort to try to to make the math as simple and understandable as possible. And, you know, it's a pretty lengthy equation in its own right, but there's an idea. And I think, I think it might be the underwriter that, that you're talking about. Sure. You know, the, the bond council is, is one of the, of the attorneys on the, on the project. They're the one that's going to look at the, the project and say, uh, you know, based on everything that we know about this preliminary official statement, we, think that this is uh, both tax-exempt and an authorized borrowing in the market. And they will have their fees, and they might be included inside of the underwriter's discount, the concession. There are a variety of different ways that the math gets framed. And then a lot of people that make it very difficult to try to understand exactly how that money flows. So we looked at this early on as, as one of the challenges to try to overcome. And we looked at it, you know, from another perspective, and that was the perspective of the investment manager, the RIA in particular, that has a fiduciary duty to do right by the investor. And the RIA speaks the language of basis points and, you know, discloses and makes very clear fees that are being charged. And in contrast, in the opportunities that you see coming into market and the billion dollars per day that goes into the market for, for new types of projects, you see no single standard way of representing the fees. And you see various efforts to try to disclose what should be a completely standard nutrition facts label grade understanding of who exactly is making what and how and at what point. But the challenge remains that there's there's a role involved in the creation of the deal that it doesn't really need to exist that much in the future. And it's a role that's it's based on an old idea back when things like time and distance and train robbers mattered to the process of forming capital for a public project where, you know, we would uh, print the bond certificates at, at a note house in New York and ship them by a train out to the West for, you know, some public project that's going to get priced along the way and we're going to telegraph the you know what the syndicate agrees is is going to be the rate that gets set and stamp that onto the certificates and so we have remnants of this like a memo called the pricing wire have you ever read a pricing wire no i'm like on the edge of my seat here because uh <laughs> i want to hear about this it's it's absolutely fascinating and we're happy to uh Offer up a you know a tour anytime you're at one of the offices. We have uh, the wall of bonds. We call it it's a couple of centuries of certificates of communities of, of various types uh, borrowing money directly from people and and you know various innovations along the way. But there's a vestige of the old way still baked into that part of the process where it's essentially tied to pretending to take risk with other people's money. 
for, for lack of a better phrasing, right? The process of underwriting is to say, well, we're going to go to our uh, internal proprietary network and, you know, ask around and, and figure out and do price discovery and then get back to the syndicate. It's putting this together that it's $10 million deal, which is, by the way, you know, on the smaller side of, of borrowing for the market. The median size is $28 million on an issuance. Sure. And we're going to do $10 million and the Bank of Chuck is going to agree to take down $2.5 million. The Bank of Jace is going to take down $2.5 million, you know, and then uh, last name and last name and last name is going to take down the rest of it. And together we agree, uh, based on all of our proprietary processes, that we're going to set the rate as such. And then from the rate, we're going to obtain the bonds for our own accounts and, and to pass on to those who said they would buy them uh, at a discount. And it's in the discount that we find that the math is built in mirror and is expressed in a way, the concession, to deliberately conceal the fact that we are baking our fees into the principle that that community is borrowing and taking out an interest. So if we're going to borrow $10 million, we're only going to receive at the end of this maybe, what, $9,900,000, sure. let's call it. But over the next 20 years, uh, we're going to pay on that $100,000 difference another $75,000 in interest. And so it's a functional equivalent of uh, closing costs and a handful of other fees that we would do on a mortgage getting baked in to the principal and, and taken out at interest. It was built specifically to be, you know, just beyond the reach of, of plain folk so that it wasn't so easy to just go and put the uh, offering together and sell it to the community who often was perfectly capable of funding at least some level of the project. I want to get to how neighborly has attacked this problem. I want to ask a bigger question before we do that. It seems like today... In the day of high-frequency trading and computer <clears throat> algorithms and huge international bond markets, wire <clears throat> transfers, that if anything is a truism, the overhead costs of doing, even if we just stuck with that kind of financing, right? Like we're not going to try to intermediate <clears throat> it at a lower level or, or get, but if you're just connecting buyer and seller, huge buyers, huge sellers, it seems like the fees on that should be really, really small today. You don't have to have a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. You're going to sign certificates and, and send them over and get them stamped and notarized. And it seems like it should be a pretty easy, frictionless process today. Am I, miss, yeah. am I missing something there? You're, you have something that is, is quite dangerous to the incumbents. And you, know, you and I uh, might want to invest in some good... Uh, bodyguards or something after this, because <laughs> this is one of the last cash cows, you know. Right. You're talking about innovations that have happened in other areas of finance. You're talking about in equity, we have uh, the cost structure collapse by three orders of magnitude over the last couple of decades of the underlying cost of all the market operations that are necessary to move securities around the market to create and to move and to retire the security. That drives the high-frequency trading. It makes it possible that we can put, you know, servers right next to, you know, the biggest pipe next to each other in a, in, in a colo and, and have them go to town to each other and make innovative things like we're going to do round-trip, go-no-go decisions to and from compliance server ahead of trades in, in nanoseconds. Right. So that we can make, you know, very calculated decisions 
with extremely, extremely low, nearly infinitesimal underlying unit costs. And then you're talking about other bond markets in, in fixed income of other origins that came a century or more later than the United States municipal bond market that leapfrogged in a lot of ways uh, some of the, the original challenges and constraints that didn't necessarily have the you know, the virtues of the market, which were originally built around the idea of, of self-reliance, very Emersonian market, a very Emersonian market of creating local choice, the power of saying what is to be funded is in the hands of the community, not some central government. And it was a market that was fiercely independent. And it was a market that has, you know, for the nearly century that SEC has existed, has been the one that they've always tried to you know, maintain that they should have a, a form of control over directly instead of indirectly via broker-dealers. We agree with them on that point. Sure. We think that they should have direct oversight and it should operate in exactly the same way as the other markets and that everybody, especially the communities borrowing exactly what they need when they need it responsibly, transparently, will benefit from that. And so we, we, we support that. But you're talking about other markets like the Canadian municipal bond market. And yes, there's a Canadian municipal bond market and it's a thing of beauty yeah. in its precision and speed. In a Canadian bond offering, if we're going to do a $100 million deal, if we're going to do a $100 million deal somewhere in the United States, in any kind of, uh, anywhere but the places where everybody globally is chasing the bonds, the yield to zero, we're all piling into the top 100 issuers Right. There are 90,000 eligible issuers. If you're anywhere between number, you know, 101 and 1,000, you're going to spend at least nine months going back and forth through a process that involves, we affectionately call some of the, the folks that end up mucking things up for everybody, merchants of complexity, you know, because their, their stock and trade is in making more complicated and more unique a thing that would otherwise be an extremely standardized and simple agreement among parties. Right. And in the Canadian market, if you're taking $100 million, you're going to get on the phone and say, hey, let's make this thing happen, and you're going to have everything in order, and your your accounting is already there, your disclosure is already there, you're doing things like shelf registration, shelf ratings, you're not going and pretending like every deal is its own unique snowflake where you need to pull in this like specialized team of, of merchants to to make the thing work. You're just going to a well-oiled, highly efficient global market, and you're saying, hello, we want $100 million. Everything that we know about the market today and all of the investors that want what, it's going to be a week. It's going to be an order of magnitude less cost of issuance. So you're comparing a, a market that's two centuries old that was a daring pioneer of a market that's fiercely independent to this day. That's like it's interwoven with like what made this rich tapestry of interconnected but self-reliant places in the United States in the first place. It's broken now, and it needs to get back on track to get back to where we were and to go forward. But you're comparing it to these inefficiencies in other markets, and you're absolutely right about that comparison. And it is crazy, but that's that's a bit of why. I think the fascinating thing about that, I mean, you didn't use this word, but I'd say like the, you know, the kind of Byzantine process that you've got is a way we kind of call these antiquated systems. It's not like this is a small market. You know, this is not like this is like some tiny little niche off to the side that's been able to kind of be passed by. And, you know, all the old stodgy people are in it. The municipal bond market is massive, right? $3.8 $3.8 trillion outstanding, a uh, billion dollars a day 
new offerings it has in it one million QCIPs. Right. I think there there are something like uh, I don't know five thousand or so uh, corporate bond QCIPs. It is a large and, and very liquid market, despite the the complexities, the tradability, and the timeliness, and the amount of buy side. You know, the demand for these things is so strong that it is crazy that it's still operating in, in that way. And as a result, and this is why it's such an honor to talk to you, because this is why we were such huge fans of Strong Towns and, and what you guys are doing. It's, we think that public finance invisibly guides the nature and the scale of the things that we do in the communities in a lot of ways that are not good for either the communities or the investors. As a result of that approach to the system, as an example, we see over and over in the market that is supposed to be creating these bold new innovations. It's a market that now is rewarding the tried and true over the new, is is beating up the small community, is over-favoring the very large community, but not necessarily to the extent that that large community believes that it's in charge of its own market. And then, and worst of all, and why it's so important that this conversation is happening and anybody listening, it's a market that no longer serves innovation in the context where the innovation is needed in the public realm. And we do need to get to building thousands of community solar microgrids so that communities can own their own energy while decarbonizing our planet and community broadband networks so that communities can remain economically relevant, connected, even if they're not in the booming metropolis, and own their own information and force ISPs to compete for their business, and affordable housing and transit. Next-generation transit does not look like today's transit. And yet, what you see is a market that is driven by a handful of deal team folks that get together and say, well, let's make it look like the last one. Okay, well, we already understand how to do you know, this, this type of project. So there's a couple of anecdotes. One that, one that really drove us bonkers was uh, a community in California that had two proposals during the drought. One is uh, a network of integrated rain gardens, hundreds of rain gardens underneath each a cistern. And each cistern is attached, is grid-tied back to the central water processing with reverse osmosis along the way effectively a giant city-scale sponge that would capture 50% of its annual water demand and put it back into the system and recharge, by the way, the table under the city. $300 million total. And then you get the benefit of this is a resilient multi-purpose infrastructure, okay? In the day when it's not raining, we've got, like, you know, park benches and cool places for birds to hang out and all these other, like, things that enhance the vitality of the place. And, you know, it's unambiguously aligned with nature. It's in accord with how nature works. And it's freaking cool. And it's and it's innovative, and it could be a model of success. On the other side, a proposal for a desal plant, well over a billion dollars, that came in far over budget, even above that, it comes down to what's the one that can get the finance? Right. Well, the finance is not going to say do the $300 million new thing. It's going to say do the $1.5 billion thing that we've done a few of and that we can get behind and critically keeps central the mechanisms of control. 
So what do we end up with? Do we end up with the rain gardens or do what happens? We think that public financing visibly guides the nature and scale of the outcomes and not in the interest of the community, the investor, or the plant. I think that that example is a genius example. And I'm just going to affirm, I've seen that dozens of times on the ground myself, where we've got a, an innovative kind of water system approach that would be a little bit decentralized or, you know, an innovative sewage treatment system approach that would make use of some constructed wetlands and some different things. And my profession, the engineers come back yes. and they're working with the finance people. They know what's going to get them a project that will get all the way through the process. And I'll yep. say this, I never recommended anything as an engineer that I didn't think would be good for the community I was working in. But I also didn't recommend anything for the community that wasn't going to result in a project that I was working on, right? Absolutely. I think you can hold those thoughts in your head. I don't think this makes these people bad people, but it's very, Not at all. It's very easy to see the solution that works for you being the one that has like the clearest glide path to getting financing ultimately. The clearest glide path is, is a valuable guide. It's a value, yes. It, it's extremely valuable that it, you're going to get this done if we go this route. Like the, the adage of we're not fired for choosing IBM or some such, right? Right. It's right. true. Yep. No. It just works. Like yeah. it, that was the genius of the, of the finance professionals that took over the market. Right. It just works. Like you don't think about it. Like just don't worry about the money. You got a city to run. Right. That's a valid, that's a valid point. It is. Our point is it should just be, it should work off first principles and it should work to the most efficient outcome possible. And it should be in accord with what's best for the community and what's best for the investor and not what's best for the middle. And currently it's what's best for the middle in a lot of cases. And those aren't mutually exclusive. You're right. You can hold those thoughts simultaneously. Right. And no, they're not bad people. They're, they're freaking good people, and they, they're really creative, and they are, like everybody else, looking at uh, self-preservation and, and growth, and, and it's okay. And all we say is there should be also available a path where the engineers and the architects and the planners and the designers, the visionaries, the doers on the ground in the community should be in control of the financing mechanism, and it should serve them. It should serve the people that know how to know how and are willing and able to roll up sleeves to do the things that we need to do in order to continue to pass go as a single planet species. Let's talk about neighborly. I really am enthralled and excited by what you've done and what you put together and what you guys are working on because well, it, it's, it truly is one of the most disruptive concepts out there. I don't have a good like setup question beyond just saying, okay, this system's a mess. It's also huge. It's ripe for disruption. Talk about how neighborly is the disruptive force here. And we, we have a, a yeah and a nah list of words. Uh, and we choose empowering, empowering over disruption. Right. You know, disruption is like, we, it's, it's, it's <laughs> another form. It's another, it's another reason that like, we're definitely not wanted by incumbents. When I was a very like young, young investor, I'm 45 right now, so I'm not very old. I kind of started to become an investor in the early age of the, cool. uh, the E-Trade kind of thing. So yep. my father-in-law, who's a really, really smart guy, he's always had the broker you call, you pay the big fees to. I remember my grandpa had like the mutual funds he was all proud of that had these like 2% front end loads and like these two and a half percent back. I'm like, grandpa, you're just getting screwed on both sides. And this is the system he had, right? I feel like when I say disruptive, what I mean is that we're using systems that are older than like what my grandpa's system would be. 
And what we yeah. should really have is like the municipal bond equivalent of the E-Trade account, you know, something where it is harnessing the capacities we have to do good without all the friction. And by friction, I mean, essentially middlemen. So middle let's, men and middle middle steps, right? Middle middle men and middle processes. You're absolutely right. You, right. you nailed it, and and that that is neighborly in a nutshell. Right. Connecting communities and capital. We connect communities and capital. That's it in a nutshell. And we we try to do it for the community. What we want to be to them is their ability to responsibly borrow exactly what's needed, exactly when it's needed starting with constituents as first investor, but fanning out to a global capital network. And that's important because not always is the case that you'll get the best value by just doing it among the community. And not always is it the case, rarely is it the case, in fact, that the community itself will have the excess cash just lying around. But starting with constituents as first lender, which is a, it's a core tenet of, of the company because it's, it's regenerative. It's, it keeps people in touch. It, it gives folks the chance to invest in the place they help build. And that's important. But then a global capital network. So for them, it's uh, access to this network of something for everybody from the uh, grandma down the street that has a thousand dollars to invest in the place that she helped build uh, up to a sovereign wealth fund on another continent that can't invest less than a million dollars in your project and something for everyone in between. There are family offices in the neighborly capital network. There are foundations. There are RIAs of, of all stripes and sizes. We even have our own next generation investment manager that optimizes returns and customizes impact for, for folks. And it just, it's something truly for everybody. And the community should be able to, in the end state, push a button and see at every step exactly how the financing was put together. And then for, investors, it's getting direct access. And that's really important to us, getting as direct access as possible, given the circumstances, to the ability to put capital into world-positive public projects, into uh, what we call the original impact investment. You know, there's two centuries of schools and libraries and parks and and water projects uh, before that term was ever mentioned. Right. Uh, under right. the belt of the municipal market of the United States municipal bond market. And for investors, getting direct access is important to neighborly. And then the friction that you mentioned is it's exactly right. In the basement of our efforts sits the desire to recast the incumbent structure, sits the desire to take orders of magnitude of efficiency gains that we watched happen in equities where you're saying to grandpa, why don't you get on E-Trade because, you know, you want to pay hundreds of dollars on both sides. You'll just pay by then, what, nine ninety five, fourteen ninety five, uh, as a result of that collapsing underlying cost structure of, of each market operation. And to apply next-generation infrastructure to achieve goals like simultaneous self-clearing and settlement for fractions of a penny and, and T0 so that we don't have to sit around and say, you know, there's a bunch of underlying costs that make this a, a fairly elaborate market to trade in. And if we can do that, we do two things. Atomicity. It's atomic. It's making it possible to trade smaller amounts, and it's making it possible to move even individual payments from from these fixed-income devices. And we also democratize. If you can do that, then you can bring more participants to the market on both sides. And your, your original point, when you said there's a community that's putting together hundreds of thousands of dollars and 
you know, that community right now would really struggle to bring that deal to market in a cost-efficient way. Usually it would sit around and wait uh, months or maybe years to lump together that project with a bunch of other projects to scale up the economics that makes sense to the public finance deal team and all of the participants that want to, you know, not do a couple of thousand dollars worth of work over a couple of months. They want to do hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work over a year. Right. And that is, in a nutshell, communities responsibly borrowing what they need when they need it, starting with constituents, investors investing directly in world-positive public projects, and recasting the financial services infrastructure in the market that finances infrastructure. Let's walk through this. My hometown of Brainerd, my little city of Brainerd, 13,500 people. We're going to finally get serious about Chuck Marone, this crazy guy we got, his vision for the, the park in the middle of town. And we're going to go out and we're going to borrow half a million dollars. And we're going to make some improvements. We go to our you know, bond people. They say, you know, yeah, this is, too, this is peanuts for us. Like, it's a big, there's going to be a lot of fees and you're going to, you know, whatever. And then yeah. we, we call up Jace and we say, hey, what do we do here? Like, what's the process? A couple of things. I really love that we're from a newer kindred spirit. We're <laughs> right. from towns of, of, of comparable size. I'm from Maryville, Missouri, which is 12,000. So yeah. your booming metropolis of Brainerd with its rampant growth and 13,000 strong community, Mayor Chuck says, <laughs> let's do this park in a center. Today's world, $500,000. You'll end up talking to folks that will try to convince you to put it together with other projects. Hey, don't you need a fire truck? Don't you need a new school? Don't you need, you know, why don't we do this? Or why don't we add that? Oh my gosh, uh, you're, you're making me break out in hives because that's exactly what it is. It's like, you know, I'm going to upgrade my radio in the car and then you walk out with a brand new car, right? Yep. Yeah. No, I, I, it's upselling. <laughs> yep. We don't have a, a I mean, we, ha- we technically have a, a VoIP phone for compliance purposes, but, you know, you, you wouldn't call us. You can go to neighborly.com that, you know, you would input the features of what you're trying to accomplish. And, and then from this, you know, we're very inspired by Christopher Alexander's pattern language. And we are working to build over time a pattern library of things that you can just do in your community that make your community more resilient and tell us about exactly the type of park that you want to build. And are you considering, you know, making it into a bio swale uh, that sits above a cistern that you can capture stormwater and, you know, reduce runoff. And we're asking these because it helps to understand and appeal to a broader base of investors. And our job in this process is to make it as turnkey as possible to make sure that everything about your opportunity complies with every set of rules on the books, which we deeply respect. There are many of them, and many of them are not designed to protect you, Mayor Chuck, and not designed to protect the investors that want to invest. They're designed to protect the incumbents that today own the market that will show up to your deal and try to convince you that you need to do this, that, and the other, and let's make this into a 300-page affair that only four buyers will directly show up and and bid on right. with other people's money and then turn around and resell to people downstream that would have bought your bonds directly, including your own community. The Brainerd. What's the demonym in Brainerd? Like Brain Brainerd Brain Brainardians? Yeah, I don't really Brainerd. know. We're the Brainerds, yeah. Yeah. The the Brainerds, <laughs> right? 
Brainerd bonds, like Brainerds would show up to these things right. if they were given the means and the reasons to, to do so. And it's our job to figure out how to put together the broadest possible spectrum of folks that qualify as buyers and to help you to fulfill all of the steps along the way and to make it as efficient as possible for you to do that. And then to communicate it to the broadest base of folks so that you get the best possible rate on your money. So if I'm the mayor, I'm going to neighbor.ly. We're going to put that on our website so people can get to Oh, neighborly.com. Neighborly.com. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we actually, it was a hilarious um, back and forth with the, the folks that wanted Neighborly at the time that we started Neighborly. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I, we I, are now on neighborly.com. Neighborly.com. So I'm going to neighborly.com and I saw you just got a little thing I, I click on and I can start, I can start right there putting together a right. financing package for my project. You can. Mayor Chuck, uh, you've come to the right place and how can we help? Okay. Now here's my second scenario. I am the neighbor of Chuck and I live around this park. Not only do I want to see this thing happen, but I want to invest in it. Like I, I've got some extra capital. I want to make a return on this investment. Like I'm not just going to give it to the city. I want to see a return, but I also want to see this project happen. And the thing is like, I know the city's good for it because I'm also a taxpayer. So I know that right. I'm going to get my money back. Like this isn't some wild, crazy uh, investment from the other side of the world that I don't know anything about. I'm just a neighbor. And let's say I got 500 bucks or 5,000 bucks or 50,000 bucks. What do I do now? What do I do? So you notice too on neverly.com, you can sign up to invest in the types of projects and places that you care about. And so you sign up on the other side and you get a note the capabilities of the platform is also possible that if you want as a community to uh, issue to your community, it's possible to do that. We've done many such projects where it goes directly to the community and the community sometimes will even send the message to its constituents. So the message to invest in the community comes from the community and it's done through compliance and it's, it's, it's making sure to pass through every rule, but you're given that chance to sign up to invest. Did your platform need to have any SEC rule changes or any federal legislation in order to, to happen? Or did you just figure out how to make this work within the existing rule structure? It's a long process to get to the ability to create and market opportunities. And it took many years and working very closely with a lot of lawyers and a lot of people from financial services from both sides, from broker-dealers, from investment advisors, from our regulators, to figure out a formula that checks the boxes, that makes sure to collect all the right information, to protect that information, to communicate that information in a timely manner to the right systems, to make sure that everything is maintained and done on time and according to the layer of rules. And there are many, as I said. And in our case, it was not as a result of the change to any policy like crowdfunding for the Jobs Act, for example. Right. Because unis were one of two of the asset classes exempt from investor accreditation. So despite the absurdity that it was almost impossible <laughs> to go and find a bond offering for under fifty or $100,000 that somebody is willing to sell – which is a function of the, of, the, of the unit economics, by the way, of the cost structure uh, underneath the, the transaction and the market operations that are necessary to, to move the securities through the system and to check all the boxes, that it's, that it's the case. 
that you can buy a share of a company, but it's extremely difficult to buy a bond in a community. And despite the fact that you did not need to be accredited, and despite the fact that the market was born from the idea that individuals would drive the sales and be this the central place of source of capital, it has just become so far removed from those original tenants that you see a contradiction. Yeah. An instrument that is available to be a, a perfectly suitable investment for a great number of people, and there is a legal definition, a regulatory definition of suitability that leads to outcomes like you can be 18 years old, have $10 to your name, go blow your life savings at a gas station down the street on lottery tickets, and ostensibly put a portion of your your use of your money goes to fund education in the abstract as one justification for such a program. Uh, but if you had $100 to your name and you wanted to invest in a school down the street from your own house, you would have to go to a broker-dealer willing to accept that you are legally a suitable buyer in order to be offered the ability to buy a bond in your own community. You just taught me something that I wasn't aware of. I know that if you're going to invest in a company or you're going to buy, you know, certain levels of investment grade bonds from, from corporations or what have you, or if you're going to offer them, there's a process you have to go through to make sure you're dealing with accredited investors, basically people who have tons of money that they could lose. And my understanding is that this is like the federal government's way of, of protecting hucksters from preying on like poor old ladies, that kind of thing. You're telling me that those protections don't exist for municipal bonds. And we'll say protections. I, I, I don't know if I'd call them protections. Like you said, we've created some legislation now to get around some of those really old school kind of things. That never existed for municipal bonds, yet the municipal bond market is even more antiquated than those other markets were, where they could only deal with these uh, accredited investors. Am I hearing that straight? For the most part, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's back to that fierce independence of uh, the market. Right. And it's an establishment and foundation ahead of the Act of 33 and then the Exchange Act of 34 that created the Securities and Exchange Commission. And then a, a nearly 100 years of back and forth between uh, federal and state essentially agreeing to disagree about who regulates what and, you know, trying to strike reasonable balances while gaining upper hands, you see this really interesting, uh, almost a backwater of the capital markets as a result of the sort of, there's a tit for tat and, you know, layer upon layer of, you know, every 10, 20 years, a, a new act that introduces new complexity of, of the relationship between, you know, the, the federal oversight and the fact that it's a market that's meant to be about places. And by the way, the word municipal is, it's a cringeworthy misnomer because the vast majority of proceeds in the market aren't borrowed by municipalities. No, they're state, right? Yeah. It's state and uh, also special district. Right, right. Right. Yep. Various flavor of special district, including the districts that we spin up to do our schools, our public schools, and our fire and protection districts. Right. Uh, these are, you know, combined with states far larger than you know, municipal entities doing the borrowing. Jace Wilson, CEO of Neighborly, 
Thanks for taking the time to be with us. I know you're in computer coding and I know you're in municipal finance. I feel like in many ways you're doing like the Lord's work here in really oh, like you. pushing the boundaries. And I just wanted to thank you for what you're doing. Likewise, Chuck, and thank you for uh, the chance to connect with the Strong Town community. Like I said, we're enormous fans and uh, applaud you all for, for helping to create, to in many ways, recreate that rich tapestry of interconnected but self-reliant places. It's vital to the, the future of, of our nation, but also our planet. You know, so we really appreciate the chance to connect and, and hope that, you know, there, if there's anything that we can do for neighborly.com to serve the strong town community, we're all in. And if you have also the chance to please list, uh, there's a, a movement underway of communities owning their own broadband networks. Yeah. Which yeah. we think is the bedrock of, of resilience in the future state. Having, the ability to secure access to information and to offer things like telehealth applications for, you know, applications as far reaching as aging in place and, you know, the exorbitant cost of healthcare and helping folks in old industries learn new skills despite not having otherwise access to the global brain because ISPs are today allowed to, you know, cherry pick where they serve and uh, the neighborly community broadband accelerator at neighborly.com slash broadband is, is for strong towns. So it's for them to, to be able to create their own network. Well, I tell you what, we're going to reach tens of thousands of people here with this podcast. I'm looking forward to sharing your stuff with them and seeing the great things that they do. So thanks for taking the time. Let's keep in touch. All right, friend. Absolutely. Jeff. It's, real, it's real honor. Thank you. All right. You take care, Jace. Thanks so much. Likewise. Bye-bye. See you. And thanks everybody for listening. Keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Take care. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made this city? The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.